1: Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish
2: Podcast.
1: It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. Happy New Year, and what a way to end 2023 with Fulham finally putting the top six curse to bed and winning from behind against Arsenal at the Cottage. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today and joining me, an esteemed panel to start the new year. Mr Dominic Betts, how you doing mate? How's the head?
3: It's it's, it's better than I thought it'd be after pretty much two days on it. So yeah, (laughs) good start to the new year and good winding up every single Arsenal mate I've got in South London last night.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mr Cam Ramsey, happy new year mate. Happy New Year. Can't believe Dom Betts is on a bender. That's not like him at all, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I start as you mean to go on, I imagine,
1: from Dom's perspective. And Mr. <laughs> Avas Malik, how are you doing, Avas? I'm very well, thanks. Jack, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. I've also escaped with a ghost hangover, so uh, we did have that. That was the first question Elizabeth posted on our, our question street being like, how are the heads? So I thought that was a, a good place to start, but it feels... It feels I don't want to curse anything, it feels like everybody's vaguely on the form, which is which is quite nice to see. Let's start with some three-word reviews and then we'll get into this. I was gonna say walloping of Arsenal. That might not be a little bit much, but you know, you gotta you gotta wallow in these things a little bit. Dom, what you got for me?
3: Uh, so we start off for Twitter, we had Rach FFC with New Year Row Solution. Uh, James Wilson with Arsenal get CONCACAFed with the goals was going from Jimenez and Bobby Dekordover-Reed yesterday. And heading across to Instagram, we had Sammy Shubba with Red Dead, Raul Demption and Alistair Nimmo's Ruled Lang sign
1: <laughs> Raul Lang Syne. That's yeah. very good. Very good. It does feel like Raul's name is just perfect for just using puns all the time, isn't it? it's uh, It's just one of those that we're going to have for the rest of the season. Let's get into it because it was... Uh, an incredible performance, I thought, Cam. And actually, when you look at the way that the game played out, and you look at, you know, sometimes you get these and you go, wow, we beat a top team," but it was a little bit smash and grab. It didn't feel like that at all. Fulham were fundamentally the better side yesterday.
2: Yeah, completely. I thought that we were um, more than in the ascendancy throughout the game, obviously being pegged back early doors by a very scrappy sacker goal. Um, you would have thought after that. After that happened, it was going to be backs up against the Wolf of Fulham and they would, uh, they would come out and basically steamroll us, um, especially after they lost a, uh, they lost their last game as well. But it's so nice to compound Arsenal's title hopes. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's always nice to get one over a big 16, but if it actually means something to them as well, you know, it couldn't be any sweeter. I just thought the way that we, we personally approached the game. Um, yesterday, after three really desperate performances, where there wasn't really much uh, much for us to get enthusiastic about at all, um, it was the perfect tonic, really. And I don't really want to be thinking about anything which could possibly be mixed with alcohol at the moment, but it was the perfect tonic. Um, that's how you want to end twenty twenty three. You want to take everything in good stead into twenty twenty four. And I couldn't have fought, fought the boys yesterday at all. I thought that we uh, we conducted ourselves with uh, real professionalism, especially after being pegged back like we were. Um, and yeah, I, I think the presiding power in that in that game was Fulham. There's no two ways about it. And uh, thankfully, after the game, you know, you have Marco in high spirits, and you've also got Mikel Arteta giving us some uh, giving us some credit too. Um, which is unlike him as well, because he's always trying to pick the bones out of losses. But um, he could have no excuse. His players just went up to it yesterday. And uh, yeah, long may to continue up the, up the whites. It was excellent.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And actually watching a, a few of the kind of Arsenal reactions to the game across it, of I thought it was interesting that lots of them obviously get the occasional sort of madcap idea of who's to blame. But most of the Arsenal fans that you watch go, Fulham with a better team today and they deserve the three points. And I think that when it comes down to that kind of day, you go, okay, cool. That's a really, really impressive performance. And I just wanted to touch on something that Cam mentioned there in terms of obviously we concede very, very early. And it's a little bit unlucky in the manner that it occurs because of Castagna bombs on, ends up falling over the hoardings, almost into the Arsenal fans. And the space that he vacates is exploited by Martinelli and Saka taps home. Thought it might've been offside the stadium, wasn't, but it kind of is what it is. I thought it was interesting that there was a sense of of a little bit maybe of overcommitment from Fulham there in terms of the attack and actually leaving ourselves exposed, but we learned from it. And I thought that was really interesting that, we didn't see Fulham make that kind of mistake again for the rest of the 90 minutes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Marco's attacking, um, plans are always with full being quite high up and so after that well it's called not, not necessarily an error but after they exposed that in the, in the fifth minute we noticed that Bobby then tucked in in the right who right had five at the back and it made it so much more solid and uh, Martinelli and, and Sakura who was in Robinson's pocket for 95 minutes um, just couldn't couldn't do anything there was no outlet from them and as much as they were trying to ping the ball to both of them we were so compact in that five that there was nothing they could really do and it's great to see that we're learning and I think also our approach to our attacking play was similar where before we were relying Upon going to the fullbacks and going up the wings and um trying to attack that try and attack in that way early in the season. We're using TC so much, um him coming deep, Polini coming deep, and then going across the channels, and it made a huge difference. And we exploited their their tactical errors as well, where they play through the back with this uh inverted fullback. It means there's so many, so much um space in the in the flanks, and those balls over Ben White's head um and kibble's heads made a huge difference and that's where all of our attacking play came from so it's brilliant to see that we adapt both defensively and attackingly and, and as cam said there was only one team really in that game throughout i never really felt like they were going to come back towards the end either they had that one big chance that saka volleyed over the bar but otherwise i didn't feel nervous which is really unusual against a top six team, because i always find an incredibly irritating way of losing these games or dropping points in these games but it was a, br- a brilliant way to end the year
1: yeah, absolutely. No doubt about that. Dom, it's an interesting one, and i mentioned it there. TC came into the team, and he's been brilliant at home in particular in the last you know month or so. We'll, we'll leave the Burnley performance aside for the minute. But when you kind of look at the teams yesterday, I'll admit, I, I was on AFTV and I spoke about the fact that I was worried that with Havertz coming back in and Erdegaard there playing as kind of eights together, that Fulham might need something slightly more defensively resolute in order to deal with that. And I looked at the team sheet and thought, that could be uncomfortable. I've got to put my hands up and just say, I'm sorry, TCR underestimated you again. You should feel after about you know, eight and a half years that you should stop underestimating Tom Kearney. But an incredible performance in complete control. And actually, the way that Fulham then dictated the end, the way that the game played out was in a large part due to what. Tom did yesterday, and that's incredibly nice to see against such high quality opposition.
3: Yeah, I, I said the same thing when I saw the teams. I thought we could have done with, not necessarily something more defensive minded, just some bits bit more legs in the midfield, really, like a Lukic or a Harrison Reed. But I said, I said he was man of the match on Sky Sports yesterday. He was one of many players I thought had a great game alongside. You know, him and Ez William, Calvin Bassey, Robinson. So, but yeah, I so said he completely dictated that play in the midfield. And then, as you said, when I saw the teams and saw that Havertz and Odegaard were playing in in the midfield, I thought we could get slightly overrun here, but he completely dictated the play. It was sort of they they scored after five minutes and they had what they had one chance before that, which I think was when Odegaard curled it just wide of the far post. But then after that. Uh, there was one Martinelli chance in the second half. I kind of remember, and apart yeah, from do that, you know, like do you remember Leno making a save. Not, not no, this really. is what I said. All the all the Arsenal chances were shots that went wide, as opposed to uh, Burn Leno having to make a save. This is what I was speaking to a few Arsenal fans last night about, and they they were saying that they think that Arsenal are becoming too predictable to play against. And I, but I th- that that may be the case, but I think Marcus Silva got his. Although continues in the last five minutes, he's got got his game plan pretty much spot on yesterday, and. There was no player who didn't didn't put in an eight or nine out of ten yesterday. I thought of what everyone did the the job they're exactly supposed to do. Even when you know Pereira's been poor this season, but when he came on, I thought he was brilliant yesterday. Yeah. So I think yeah when it when it came to TC he, he, and everyone really they, we just conducted the game plan in the perfect way. And as you said earlier, it wasn't like a smash and grab like a Brighton away last season. It, we we dominated the game. We had the better chances. we had the team that looked more like scoring even once we went two one up. So yeah, I think. It's concerning from an Arsenal perspective, but it's also great from a Fulham perspective after what we've seen since... Sort of that, that, Basically, that Jimenez red card at Newcastle, was it conceded eight, scored zero, and then, then we, go, we go and beat Arsenal 2-1. T- th- although I did say if I, w- if I was in attendance yesterday, we probably would have lost that 5-0. Yeah, that, you're that's, 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 you're that's, banned
1: that's... from the cottage, actually.
3: new one Yeah, it seems to be the way of things. But yeah, it was an absolutely great performance. And I think... I said it But when I saw the teams, and I said it before the game that with Willian and Jimenez in the team, we are so different. Like, there's so much more dynamics into our play. Willian allows Robinson to, on the overlap, a lot more than, let's say, when Awe, like I think Awoyah is great, but I just don't think when he has to move over to the left-hand side, he's just as good when he's either in the 10 or out or wide right. Because when he's out wide right, I feel like he has more of a free role. and same when he's in the, in the 10 position. So, yeah, I think what we saw yesterday was how key Willian and Jimenez are to any success we're going to have this season.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I think this is the point you you touched on it there, Cam. Marco Silva got it pretty much bang on in every position yesterday. And it's easy to work through that. You could work through the entire team sheet, as Dom says, and you could go great performance, great performance, great performance. But they were put in a position to succeed. And Avast mentioned it, the fact that, that Bobby tucked in as a, as a right back at times to overload that system. We got wide in order to take advantage of the weaknesses in Arsenal's game. But even the, st- the changes he made, you know, Awobi coming in for Pereira. When was the last time that Marco Silva dropped Andreas Pereira because of not an injury problem? It, it rarely, rarely happens. He made that change and it allowed for them to be a little bit more dynamic in that 10 role. offered us a bit more running and legs in that midfield. Bobby was brilliant on the right-hand side. Jimenez is such a brilliant hold-up player and, and brings everyone else into play. It was just, you know, bang on from the gaffer. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think the selections yesterday were perfect for the occasion, really. You've got Raul coming back into the squad, of course, which is going to want to make amends for um, a bit of a hideous moment up in Newcastle. And uh, obviously, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen, um, you know, the inactivity, uh, the let's say, of Nunes and Vinicius up top, but they don't really offer much. Um, movement isn't necessarily there. And maybe that's a byproduct of the whole entire team, not necessarily being a 100% firing, but... Um, proper strikers, they've got to make opportunities for themselves. And his goal in particular, it, it was anticipational of Tom Kenny's excellent ball into uh, into the penalty area and uh, a proper striker's finish to go along with it. So it's excellent to see him back in the team. and He made a huge difference with his hold up play as well, which uh, hasn't necessarily been seen from Raul this season as well. I, I think he's sometimes been maybe a little bit too tentative in the physical battle, but he um, he, he held uh, the likes of Gabriel and Saliba, you know, um, to the sword yesterday. He was excellent with what he tried to do. is just a lone striker. William coming back into the team as well, his intelligence on and off the board just, uh, it, it just opens up so much, so much time and space for the, for the boys around them to obviously do what they need to do and support. Um, yeah, I, I was just impressed with the application, you know. As a whole, from the team yesterday, I, I, I thought that they were all fired up for it. They all knew their responsibilities and what they needed to do, and that's all down to Marco Silva basically just outlining to the boys: "Look, if you're not in the starting lineup today, it's not necessarily detrimental to yourselves. It's just, uh, it's just how we need to be approaching Arsenal. We need to suffocate and stifle them as much as possible. And as you've already touched on, Andreas coming on when he did, it just." injected that mobility back into our midfield when it might have been waning a little bit Um, Tom Kearney is such a great distributor and he manipulates the game so well but of course as we know he can't last necessarily for 90 minutes and we were always going to need to up the ante Um, so I thought that we approached the game in that respect excellently Um, and yeah do you know what if Andreas is going to come off the bench more regularly and do that and do that you know and apply himself to the game much more uh, you know as, as an auxiliary kind of member of the squad I'm no real problem with it. I don't think he would either. It gives him the motivation to go. you know what? What do I need to do better? And what do I need to work on? Yeah, and if he can and, do it in twenty, spot, minutes, right? Yeah, exactly that. And if he can do it in twenty minute spells, you know he can be basically untouchable in that position where he's got fresh legs and can get defenders. Then you know that's surely going to stand a good stead for him moving forward. But I totally agree. I think Marcus Silva, and um, you know that that is what he is good at. Sometimes it goes amiss, and sometimes he gets his squad selections a little bit mixed up. But yesterday was it was spot on. To add
0: to that, Cam, I think Arteta made made quite a few errors towards the end of the game that really emphasised Marco's brilliance. Yeah. Because when he made that that tactical change to play three at the back properly, and I think essentially a five up top or to, you know three two three two, whatever whatever way you want to line up, it really played into our hands because they played more narrow and then tried to distribute it like wide, wide only to Saka really almost. Exclusively for the last 15 minutes, it played into our hands brilliantly because Bassi came across. And when we put five in the back, particularly with Diop coming in, we, we were able to suffocate their one uh, um, attacking outlet. And I thought Arteta was devoid of ideas in ways that Marco seemed really refreshed with his. And the, the fact that the boys were so up for it, the intensity was actually up there, even after we went ahead a goal down, which is, you know, expected that we would think, oh, we're going to have our heads drop again after going 1 nil down against Arsenal, having lost so badly twice in such recent times, just shows how much of a hold Marco has on their emotions and how he can really get them up for these kind of games. And it really gives us confidence going into the new year that, you know, it might not be so drab a season and we might have something to play for against Liverpool. And, you know, if we can beat an Arsenal team, why can't we beat a Liverpool team? And just if we can get us going, it gets them going. This could be a, a really incredible next month. Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool
1: option. It's a a really cool kind of place to be that I didn't think we were going to be at, right? It didn't feel like we were going to be in this space a month ago. It didn't feel like we were going to be in this space on Boxing Day and suddenly, you know, maybe this is it and this is Fulham season that hope just tends to kindle up and down depending on, you know, the way that we are playing, but also in terms of I imagine the fatigue and and all of those things are playing a, a role in this and it's about battling through the storms when they do come. I thought you know that that was interesting and actually i was watching the arsenal west ham game the other day and there was a moment where arteta did the same thing he brought zinchenko off for reese nelson and at that moment i went oh he's panicking and as soon as he started panicking and i thought exactly the same when he, he moves that formation against fulham and basically just chucked all the attackers on the pitch i was like he's lost he's lost the ideas there's there's no structure there's no system here Fulham have got this. That was the moment I was like, and weirdly, that sounds like such a mad thing to say. The moment they brought on all the attackers, I was like, I think we've won this game because Mm -hmm. I don't think they're you know, any longer playing some sort of system that that seems to feed into their players. I mean, I want to flip it, Dom, to to Raul because it's really nice to see him score against Arsenal always because of the situation and the history. And obviously there's, there's something that you just sort of go chef's kiss when he put the ball in the back of the net. But I think, you know, we've we've come round to the idea that Raul is so important to this team and what he offers as a striker, aside from putting the ball in the back of the net, is now how this side functions. But there's just so much to his game and and so so much that he offers this team. It's almost like absence making the heart grow fonder. But suddenly you're like, wow, Fulham are a different team when he's on the
3: pitch. Yeah, especially because I think if you include the Newcastle game, what is it, five goals in seven games now, I want to say? And like, at the start of the season, it was like, you could see, you could see what Jimenez was doing, and in regards to everything except putting the ball in the back of a net. Um, but then, if you don't have a striker putting the ball in the back of a net, you are going to sort of look elsewhere, and that's when we did see the likes of um, Mooney's get given a go, and he had that decent uh, game away at Brighton when he came on. But I said, now he's in a, in a run of form and has got his confidence back. You can see. You could that five million pound is looking like an absolute bargain now, mm-hmm. but it's it, it, j- just bec- but also I would say just because he has got five golden seven games, there's not hide away from the fact that we should still be looking to sign a striker in January. Yeah, long-term because, planning, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, it's not going to yeah, be an answer forever.
2: Yeah.
3: Exactly. Yeah, He's, you, you look at his age. Also, you look at that. We need not it's not even a plan B, just another competent striker. <laughs> like you saw how how bad it was once. Um, once Jimenez was suspended for those three games. So I think it is is still an importance that we do sign another striker in January, but it is good to see Jimenez. And as you said, like, I think, although he is a a tall physical striker, what he offers and what Mitrovic offered last season, I think are very, very different. And the way we're playing is very, very, very much more... Working off him as opposed to just trying to get the balls in the box for him to try and score, score a header or score a, a cap in at the far post like we did yesterday. And I think that yeah, and I think yeah, the William Jimenez sort of combo coming back in yesterday because I wasn't at all confident going into the game just because when I saw that you know William was a doubt and I was like I could be and then when he scored after five minutes I was like oh this could be quite a long afternoon. But yeah, I think you know we you, you saw yesterday how not just how important it is, it just it just makes the team flow so much better.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's just a a really, really good link man. And I think what you come back to time and time again, you know, Maniz runs around and he works hard and he's not very good, but, you know, he puts a shift in. I thought that Carlos Vinicius not being in the squad yesterday, Cam, was was an interesting one. I would imagine that he's probably off to Monterey, which is going to be interesting Uh, a nut job in Liga MX who'd have thought it who'd have thought that might work but we'll be keeping an (laughs) eye on things over there what I really did love though was that Pelina performance Cam because that felt right back at it and I think So much of our struggles in recent games have been, you see what the difference is when Jay Pally drops off. And unfortunately, you know, there is no such thing as a one-man team, but he's probably as close to it as we're ever going to get at this point. He does make everything tick in the middle and the whole system falls apart when he's not on it. So it was really nice to see him do another job on Declan Rice in particular.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, before, obviously, well, after I should say um, his projected move to Bayern fell through in the summer. Um, In that kind of a strange interview he gave, just kind of like clearing his name, it seemed like he said that he was going to give 100%. And no matter what, no matter who the opposition is, um, time or day, it doesn't matter. And obviously he's a man of his word. Um, The guy had passion oozing out of him yesterday. And I've never seen somebody, um, you know, enjoy hard crunching challenges like Jaume Pelinha does. He gets a real kick out of it. Um and we need that steadiness in the midfield. And you're right, as soon as he isn't necessarily firing on all cylinders and uh isn't, you know, getting about the midfield and the usual combative self that he uh that he does so frequently, we do tend to obviously uh fall foul of some uh difficult performances and difficult results. But you know, I, I don't think there was any any real uh competition for him yesterday. He was uh he and Tom Kenny were the best best midfielders on that park. Um you know, you've got Tom Kearney putting strings and you've got Zhao Pellinier just steamrolling through players um, to win back possession and obviously to drive us up the park like he does so so effortlessly. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with Zhao really. I mean, it looks to me, from the way that he conducted himself yesterday, his body language, the passion, the enthusiasm, he's gearing himself up for battle for the rest of the season for Fulham on, on multiple fronts. I mean, you've got a semi Semi-final Carabao Cup to aim for. Um, we're still in the FA Cup. Um, I just think he's 100 percent invested into um, Silver's Silver's plan this season. Um, and I always actually think that was the case. Obviously, he's led here and there by his representatives. And of course, I mean, playing in the Champions League is a uh, a massive feather in the cap. But he's still proving himself week in week out within this footing squad. And there, for me, there isn't a holding midfielder in the world that's uh, that's more impressive and better than what he is. Um, but you know, all all of the badge tapping that, you know, he's doing everything for the famous black and white. And I just don't think that's going to change anytime soon. And in a midfield laden with, you know, master creators such as Odegaard, Kai Havertz, yeah, fair enough. He's uh, very hot and cold, but on his day, he can switch it on. And uh I think the only player that really you could potentially compare him to is Declan Rice. Um <laughs> De- De- Declan Rice was, that was completely cool. secondary yesterday completely secondary and uh, it's so nice to see a player like Jao Pelinha which you know he knows deep down that he is an elite player but it doesn't matter to him he's doing it because he wants to obviously make us proud us cottages proud and he, that sense that overriding sense of belonging that he has at this football club I don't think he'll get anywhere else but we just have to see where that where that takes him in a couple of weeks time or if not the summer who knows but what a man I mean what what a guy, and you never ever tire of watching his compilation reels, do you, because you know who doesn't love seeing those crunching challenges rain down in a congested midfield and to see him obviously obviously wheel away with the ball as well with you know and there wasn't even an instance yesterday where I thought, "Oh, that's dangerous challenge. Well, that's a little bit naughty." Like everything was firm. The one fair. where he
1: flew in on rice and he missed him was a little, was a little yeah. bit touchy. but look, man, I enjoyed it.
2: That's the madness that comes with it, though, isn't it? You know, but yesterday it was measured. It was measured madness, which is what I absolutely love, and the way that he was geeing up the crowd yesterday. Last game of 2023 in front of a pack Craven Cottage and the atmosphere was unreal yesterday. Second, and half we haven't of seen it before. Yeah, in, indeed. And I think that he, he rallied the troops. You know, you see him after every challenge, every, every you know, every key instance that he was involved with. He was actively trying to seek, you know, that engagement with the fans. Excellent. And that's what we need more of as well. Because as soon as obviously you have that connection between players and fans, I think especially at Craven Cottage, that's when something special happens. And the reason why we won yesterday was obviously because the players on the pitch did their job. And you have someone like Pelinida, which is a natural-born leader, getting out there and obviously setting his stool there. But it was all down to the fact that they wanted to involve the fans too. And it, it, was, it was just a joy to be, be a part of, really. And that's that's it.
1: I think when the rain started pounding down, you're just looking at him and being like, oh, it's Polinia weather. Here we go. Here we Gladiator go. Gladiator weather, isn't
2: it? Absolutely. Look, he was bought bore- in Declan that claim, Rice's, <laughs> Holding up Declan Rice's severed head. You know. You know, are you not entertained? You know, it was it was it was unbelievable.
1: <laughs> yeah, phenomenal. Phenomenal. I, I'm with you, Kevin. I think I do think he sticks it out to the end of the season, unless something absolutely like unturned downable comes in, you know, in, in this January window, I, c- I can't see it. I can't see where it's going to come from. Um, so I think that if he leaves in the summer and he does end up at, at, you know, a top club, a Champions League club, challenging for the top honors in the game, he's not going to have many detractors from, you know, the cottage. It's very much going to be go with, you know, thank you for your service, etc. You he, he, he deserve that opportunity. Um, another one has been linked away of us is Jedi who's been linked with Liverpool. Now, I think that's a dreadful idea for him in particular, just the way that those teams set up. I think that Jedi is a wonderful transitional player and he likes to, to bomb on and, and the way that he moves and carries the ball, I don't think would suit this Liverpool side in terms of what they asked for from their fullbacks, but that's another question for another day. What was impressive yesterday is that he just added another one to the list of elite wingers that he's pocketed in the Premier League this season.
0: What I really appreciated about Robertson's performance was the first half in the away game against Arsenal. He really struggled against Saka and he clearly has studied how to deal with him yesterday afternoon. And as you say, I think there's only one turn in the first half where Saka got round him. But otherwise, every single time he got his foot in, not only nicked the ball, but then ran with it. And as you say, transitioned us into an attacking force. If he could put a cross in that was consistent, he would be an elite left-back. He'd be the best left-back left, be left in the world. Would. It, it would just be <laughs> incredible. His athleticism, his his ability to put a tackle in, he gets up and down that pitch for 95 minutes without really huffing and puffing. His link up play with Willian and now with T.C., his partnership with Bassi, there's he had an, an unbelievable game yesterday. And when you debate who was man of the match yesterday, he's up there in that conversation. 100%. He was completely like a baller for us. And as I said, if he can cross a ball in, Liverpool can have him for 80 million, quite frankly. Um, but as you say, he doesn't quite fit with Liverpool, particularly because I don't think he's exactly technical in the way that Liverpool play. Um, and yeah, he's st- staying too far back. It's not exactly his, his, his style, but also being an ex-Evertonian, I'm not sure how he would feel about going across to Liverpool. I'm not sure what uh, what he'd say himself say about it. But the, the back four, absolutely incredible. Um, and the fact that um, Timmy Chestnuts is keeping Tete out of that team is a testament to how well he's playing as well. Um, but there was, as you said at the beginning of the show, Jack, there was not one man who didn't have a, a brilliant game. And as Dom said, eight out of 10 across the board minimum. I, I'm just gassed by how great a day it was yesterday in that rain. <laughs> just, just watching Arteta getting soaked... And and all those Arsenal fans who were the worst fan base for them to be the ones that we beat, their reactions. I had a WhatsApp group full of Arsenal fans who did not text me back all afternoon, reading every bottle message I was sending, every image of a bottle I sent to them. There was nothing. They're the worst fans and it's just
1: brilliant to silence them. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, uh, there's, there's, lots of, uh, there's lots of very angry Arsenal fans on, on, on Twitter yesterday. There were some interesting things. I thought that... You know, something that Avas mentioned there, Dom, which was interesting, is that Fulham did switch to that five at the back towards the end. And at that point, you're going, oh, I've seen this story before. You know, I I think I've seen this film before and I didn't like the ending. But when you actually look at the way that, you know, the, the sack of chance happens before we switch to a five at the back. There is no opportunities. And I thought that Diop came on and, and did a really, really good job. It's going to be very important in terms of what's coming up. And we'll talk about AFCON. We've got a couple of questions about it in, in part two. But the way that that switch to the back didn't affect Fulham's ability to transition up the pitch, I thought it was the most impressive part of it because we have seen other managers, no names named, switch to that five at the back when we're winning to try and see out games and it becoming very uncomfortable and very deep. That wasn't necessarily the case. It felt solid without taking away from what Fulham were doing in the attacking half.
3: Yeah I think but I think the change is the personnel like you've got we've I think you know we talk, we talk, we talk about how well Bassi played yesterday and how he just completely bullied in Ketir all game but you know I think that, that back that you know back five is actually probably where he plays best anyway like a, a yeah. left the left of left to back, back 3 yeah, left side of a back three, I'd argue is actually where is Calvin Bass's perfect position. But as as we as we've seen uh, since he's moved to the left hand side, he can't do it in four. But I think just the players and the personnel we've got now, especially with Robertson and Castagna, who are sort of very who are very good in their in their in their challenges and their take ons. I think it's a it's a it's a perfect system, but it's not a system we, we, you I, you want to see us deploy like to try and get something from a game. It's more to shore things up, but it's not like once we move to that system, we still weren't creating chances either. Yeah. We, we were still getting through Arsenal's midfield, which looked, compl- well, it looked as non-existent as our midfield did against Burnley and Bournemouth, to be, to, to be frank. Um, and I think, yeah, it, it, was, it was nice to see us to have a tactical switch that actually, that actually worked and it didn't harm our attacking play. But also, you know, coming from behind to win a game is not exactly things we usually do. It's like I'm. I can't remember. It's not on Forest away. The last time that's that's happened. Like I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to remember the last time we sort of came from behind to win a game. I think I saw a stat the other week. that was like you know our points per game when we g- scored the first goal was like one point eight or something. And then when we go behind, it's like zero point one or 0, or zero point two. So it was great to see that. And I said, as we, as we mentioned earlier, the game plan from minute five to minute ninety five was com- completely bang on and. Yeah, I thought I, Arteta seemed quite clueless to sort of how to counteract Silver's tactics yesterday.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think a couple of last things, uh, Cam. <laughs> Some part of me is thinking, what is this Fulham team? Because the two performances that we've seen over this festive period at home have been night and day. We watched Burnley waltz through our midfield. We watched Bournemouth do it. Yes, Bournemouth are in good form and are on their own patch. But Alex Scott made us look incredibly silly. And then suddenly you've got Martin Ødegaard and Kai Havertz bottled up like nobody's business. It, it doesn't make sense in so many different ways. And I was coming into the game being like, I don't know what I'm going to get today. And, and you know, people are asking for predictions, etc. I was like, no idea, not a clue what we're going to get from this Fulham side. But when we are on it, we're shit hot.
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely shit hot but we're so jekyll and hyde aren't we really and that's just what the premier league brings i suppose and uh, obviously we've got cup games to think about too and there's going to be that mental toll on the team which has got to be appreciated um very very congested festive schedule for us so we obviously had to navigate uh, to the best of our ability with players missing as well um that definitely hampered us and um, especially uh, against Bournemouth, where there was just nothing to shout about at all. But we have got it in us. You know, we we beat extremely good West Ham side 5-0, despite what David Moyes says about a potential illness bug. Um, that bug seems to have made sport. them better
1: afterwards anyway. So I don't know yeah, what he's ex- complaining
2: about. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I mean, Burnley, for me, was a bit of an anomaly at home. Um, their goals were freakish. I mean, absolute bangers as well. You know, you can't take anything away from the actual finishes. But um, I think in those two games, as Dom said, I mean, the, the midfield itself was, uh, was was more or less shadowed and non-existent. Um, but you never know with Fulham, and that's the beauty of supporting a club like Fulham. I mean, Arsenal fans will probably say, oh, yeah, this is so Arsenal for us to lose two games in a row. Um, but We've, we, we have to go through that kind of emotion much, much more than they do. But we still keep coming back and we still have that, that little inkling of hope and, you know, and um, optimism every time we get ourselves to the cottage or wherever it may well be up and down the country, because we know what Marco Silva's uh, system can do on its day. It's just um, how you catch the squad, really. Luckily for us yesterday, it was clockwork and it was obviously actions to a T. But who knows? I mean, you know, we've we got we got Rotherham on Friday, haven't we? So it's going to be a changed lineup, and you just hope that the entire fold, not just the boys that obviously started on New Year's Eve, uh, they've also got the same kind of uh, kind of attitude going into that game too to stamp their mark on things because. Heading into January too, there's going to be a few boys looking over their shoulders, isn't there? You know, there's going to be a few that's going, is it really worth me staying at Fulham? And obviously against Rotherham, progressing in the FA Cup, hopefully they get out there and they, they want to prove their worth to Marco Silva and obviously portray themselves in the best light. Yeah. And that, that was the way it planned out yesterday after two really, really horrible, dejected, um, well, three really, really horrible, dejected performances where we just uh, couldn't make anything stick it all fell into place for us yesterday. And that is full mish.
1: Indeed it is. Indeed it is. Right, last question before the break. Asked, I saw a lot of complaint about the referee, kind of from both sides, to be honest, on social media. I might be going out on a limb here. I thought the ref did okay. I didn't think that any of the massive decisions were made incorrectly. I thought that there was a little bit of inconsistency in the idea that obviously there was bookings for time wasting for Fulham in the second half, where in the first half they weren't given to Arsenal for exactly the same thing. But just generally, I thought the refereeing was all right. Yeah, I agree. I don't think he was
0: horrendous. He didn't stand out as being a problem in that game. I think the time I lost my head with him was when Calvin Bassey got booked for eight seconds of time wasting, which when Gabriel did in the first half, about 45 seconds worth, it was all (laughs) right. So it, that, that was the only time I, I got really frustrated with him. But I, I will always join in with a you-don't-know-what-you're-doing chant, even if I don't agree with it. I think it's the funny, one of the funniest chants in a football game. Um, so I, I I don't think he was – he didn't stand out particularly to me. Um, but I do want to shout out Gabriella having mentioned him, because – for our winning goal is some of the funniest defending you'll see pushing, pu- pushing Bobby twice for no reason Bobby just kept cool just let it sort of slip by him then he flings his leg out like he's doing kung fu like Kenny Tete smacks his own player with the ball once Bobby smashes it and he's up with his arm out of thinking it's offside One of the, some of the funniest defending you'll see
1: <laughs> could have been two penalties, I think, before before Bobby's stuck in. One one for the rice elbow, one for the Tommy Asuhan ball. And then suddenly you're like, oh, the ball's in the back of the net. We'll have it all. I don't know what he was appealing for. How could it have be been offside? He ran past him. It was just one of those really bizarre moments. But alas, we'll take it. Uh, and we'll be back after the break to answer a shed load of your questions. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Jack Collins here with Avas, Dom and Cam. We have picked through the bones of yesterday's win against Arsenal. We're going to cast our eyes a little bit forward now and answer a few of your questions. Dom, I'm going to start with you because we've got a couple of questions on AFCON. Fulham Fan News says, how will Fulham cope without Bassi and Awobi? Can we continue to play the same way without them?
3: It's it's a tough one because, you know, Bassi although he, he did struggle originally. Well, I mean, he was playing on the right-hand side for the first time in his career. That's that's, that's probably why. But since he's moved to the left-hand side and Tosin's come back from his injury, it's one of the most solid centre back pairings I've seen for him in ages. And I think, if you look at it, I think Bassi's only yellow cards this season have come against Arsenal. I don't think he's had yellow cards outside of the two at the Emirates and the one for wasting six seconds of time yesterday. It, it is going to be... We are going to have to change because obviously Iwobi has been... I think Wobi's Awe- been key, and he's sort of been a lot better than a lot of people were expecting. I think when we signed him, I thought oh, I was a good experienced Premier League player, but I thought he'd sort of just be just be another player in the team. Where he's been, he's been so solid for us, and it is gonna be, it's going to it's going to be a big loss. And you know, Nigeria are going to are going to want to go all the way. They're one of the, they one of the strongest they one of the strongest outfits in the tournament. And I think you know we, we have Diop come in. You can. Co next to Tosin is who has who did play as a partnership at some points last season. And then if you're looking in the wide areas, you could have, you know, like a, a Willian Pereira and then Bobby Reid or Harry Wilson. So I think they obviously are going to be two big losses because they've been two of our be- best players probably in the last sort of six weeks or so. But I think it is something we can manage. But I think what it will show is at where areas in this squad where we still need to improve, I think. I think yeah. if you look... I think it, I think that's one positive we might better take from it is it will show where the weaknesses in this squad are with two key players coming out. And I think it's it's you know it's I am not you know although it's going to be disappointing to lose them. You know they're representing their country and you 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 want them to do the best. So I think it is going to be a thing for us where we just have to adapt to it. And I think it will actually in, in the long run might actually bring some more signings in quicker than we need to.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting one, I think, for uh, the back cam, because naturally you'd think that if Calvin Bassey drops out, and obviously will drop out when he goes off to Cote d'Ivoire. But the natural replacement on that left-hand side is obviously to bring the experience of Tim Ream back in. And yet, Diop's come back in. Obviously, Ream's still recovering from an injury. Does Diop slot into that left-hand slot? He, he did play there for West Ham. There were there were plenty of games where we've seen him in that kind of position. Is that the natural fit there for us to be able to just carry on, because I think the Awobi the question probably is okay. I think we will miss him, but Andreas comes back in in terms of the 10. We know that William can play on the left hand side, Harry Wilson, Bobby Deckard over Reed. There's players in those areas that can can slot into those roles. I think the defensive question is probably more imminent right now, if you will.
2: Yeah, I think Alex, uh, Alex's predicament speaks for itself, really. We have uh, a lot more capable attackers. I mean, probably do defenders at the moment but um, don't sleep on Tim you know I don't think we should be discrediting or discounting Tim at all I mean he's obviously been cast out of the squad by a very good Calvin Bassey but I trust his judgement I trust his obviously leadership skills and obviously his just ability as a left-sided defender just to kind of slot him quite nicely for Calvin Um they kind of carry the same functionality at the back as well we know that Tim likes to obviously carry the ball forward like Bassi does maybe not with the same intensity and power but I think you'll still get the same kind of uh, strategic now with uh, Tim Ream being there but I agree with what you're saying with uh, with Diop I think uh, he's more of a right-sided natural centre-back but I still think he can uh, he can obviously do the job uh beside tossing. Um, but I think if we're looking for obviously uh, you know, a, a natural fit, it would be Tim. Um and it it would only be for a short time, regardless of how long Nigeria are there for or not, you know, it's it's a month span, there are a few games in between, of course, it's quite congested, but um, in that period, I completely trust someone like Tim Reams actually come back and uh, stamp their claim again, at least just shore up and be as uh, secure as he possibly can do, Um, but time will tell, really, I mean, Diop, um, he's been in and out of the squad, Um, Tim's just more or less just been cast aside, Um, And he's getting on a little bit, he's obviously He's obviously signed a new contract. He's going to be here for 10 years and excellent as a testimonial, um, hopefully in the offing for him too. But um, I don't think he's a spent force entirely yet. So uh, let's just see. But for me, it will be Tim coming back into the squad.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that in in many ways. And, and Navas to, to kind of come on to it. Obviously, Tim Ream, we've just seen extend his contract, which will take him, you know, barring any summer moves that come out of the blue to 10 years. I did very much enjoy this from Tyler. He said, not really a question, just an official shout out for a home and home testimonial against MLS all stars for Tim (laughs) Ream next summer, which I, which I really did enjoy, but it does feel like this is an opportunity. And and obviously the injury doesn't help. It's not great timing in, in terms of him coming back into the squad, but, there was, you know, questions a couple of weeks back being like, oh, is Calvin Bassi the future now for Fulham? And I, while I do think that that is probably the direction of travel in terms of future-proofing this defensive line, that doesn't mean that Tim Ream hasn't got an opportunity here to come back in and be like, hang on, don't forget about me at this point.
0: Absolutely. He still has a big role on this squad, and I think the timing of his injury might actually suit him to have a bit of rest as well and be a bit re- re- re-energized for the rest of the season. We don't really know the circumstances behind his injury. Really. We only really get told by Marco that he's still out, so we don't know when he could come back. But if he's ready for you know the Liverpool game and slots in, I would much prefer him there alongside Diop, We have a relationship from you know previous seasons, and I think he can take a claim for, as you say, for us to remember that he plays a big role on and off the pitch for us, and as that leader, as Cam was saying. I think he will he'll help give us some sturdiness in that back. Um, I, as much as I like Diop and I really like him in this team, he has a mistake in him more often than not. And I don't feel like with combo of Tosin and, and Ream going forward would have similar worries in my mind. Um, so, I, I yeah, I'd I would, I would, I'd rather have Tim come back in if he's fit, obviously.
1: Um, and I do miss him. I do miss that man bun. I think I think we all do to a, to an extent. As good as Basti has been, it is always nice to be able to shout "ream" at the end yeah. of in the game. So there's that to look forward to at the very least. And let's move on to a couple of transfer questions. This is from Alan Dom. He says, "Could Fulham look at Elijah Adebayo as a potential striker, scoring goals for Luton, relatively cheap, and wouldn't expect to come and start every game over Raúl?" Buying back X Academy products seems like a, a slightly risky move, as far as I'm concerned. I don't hate it completely, as a shout though. In terms of his profile and what he would bring to this side,
3: yeah, uh, but yeah, so I think if you when you're signing an X Academy player, I think it's just summing up how bad your business is, <laughs> how it's being run. We've
2: been like, damn burned two, again.
3: Yeah, imagine like the two players we end, we would end up signing like it would be like Carvalho and Adebayo. who just look who wouldn't it wouldn't look the greatest. Um but when you when you when you're looking at it, yes, as we mentioned earlier, we do need to bring in another striker. I've not I said like you, I'm not against the idea of Adebayo, but I mean I I mean, I've been looking at someone at, at Bretton Diaz who's moved move abroad hasn't worked too well and he wouldn't he would welcome back a move to England. He wouldn't be expected to start every single game. But I said it's down to Marco really like what sort of profile of striker he wants. I've been saying it for a while as a joke, like, because, you know, when we did definitely need a striker, I was like, it just screams Tony Khan getting in Danny Ings on loan on deadline day. <laughs> it, that just, that just sounds like a transfer that Tony Khan would try and do. But I said, I'm not against, as I said, I'm not against the idea, but I think we can go a bit more out there to get, instead of just bringing back a former Academy player. But I had a bio, as we've seen, can, can score and he, he can be a nuisance. But I said, it's not something that I'd be looking at personally. Yeah.
1: Okay. All right. Let's keep moving. Uh, There's a couple of transfer questions here. Um, Cam, Vincent says, should we we be looking to sell Lukic? Personally, I just don't think it's worked. And the potential Andre signing makes me think that Silva thinks the same. I don't think he's a bad player, but I don't think he's that great either. And I just can't see him playing much barring injuries.
2: Well, I guess the whole Andre thing is conjecture at the moment anyway. Um, Obviously, we know that. The tabloids and journalists whoever they will be like to spin these stories just to drum up interest on their pages more than anything, to be quite honest with you. Um, but I wouldn't get rid of Lukic. I quite like Lukic. I like what he offers. I, I appreciate he hasn't necessarily got the, uh, you know, the hard hitting energy that Palina has or, um, you know, the ingenuity that Tom Kearney has on the ball, but I still like what he offers. And actually, um, Proof of his capabilities was Arsenal away when he played. I thought that he slotted in really, really well, um, obviously alongside Pelinia and was a bit of a handful as well. Um, he hasn't hit the heights that obviously he achieved when he was at Torino. He was an excellent, uh, excellent linchpin for them in the midfield. Um, but I still think there's a quality player in there and I don't think he'd be the player I'd personally be getting rid of if we were looking to obviously free up space in the midfield. Um You've got players, obviously, I'm not saying no way, no way am I saying get rid of him, but obviously you've got players like Tom Kenny which are ebbing into the later stage of their career as well. Obviously, he's going to feature massively for us for however long he's here, but as those years go on, obviously, his uh, his capability and ability to play regular minutes is going to dwindle too. Um, you've got Obviously, Harrison reads the stories about him circulating at the moment, and Everton being interested in him. Um, so you don't know what's going to happen with with Harrison in the next couple of weeks. To be quite honest with you, if he's not getting the regular game minutes, which he uh, which he got obviously last season at the beginning of this year, um, and you want to obviously make sure the investment is uh, is seen seen out as uh, thoroughly as possible. It's a it's a signing we only made last. Last last year, isn't it? So I don't necessarily think showing him the door that quickly would uh, would be very conducive to obviously our business model. So keep him and see what he can do if uh, other players drop in and uh, obviously depart. If it was to was to happen in the next couple of weeks?
1: Yeah, I do think it's a bit of a strange one that we haven't seen almost any of Lukic, and um, there have been opportunities and games where you think that having you know a slightly stiffened midfield in there might be. Something that that Silva could turn to, but he just doesn't seem to trust him right now. And then look, things can change, and you can always earn your spot back, et cetera. But I do completely get where where Vincent's coming from on this, because much as I like Lukic, it just doesn't feel like he's anywhere near Silva's good graces right now, and and I can't see that changing unless something relatively drastic a look maybe he'll score a hat-trick against rotherham in the cup and, and off we'll go but it is a weird one um right this one i'm going to start with you of us but i think it's one for everyone it's from dave m who says euro 2024 is approaching there are good players out there who aren't playing regularly and will want to move ahead of the tournament to play regularly who would you take from another premier league team to help strengthen our squad using the domestic loan allowance
0: well, talking of Arsenal, I was I like the look of Emil Smith Rowe. I was going to say
1: race, this. That's such a good shout.
0: <laughs> it's he can play across the front three, and he definitely needs game time. Whether he breaks into England team for Euro 24 is very doubtful. But he's he's, he's a quality player who doesn't seem to get a look in with Arteta. And I don't know. I mean, obviously, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I'm, I'm surprised because he was someone with industry, someone with creativities, or what I thought had work ethic, a good work ethic. From I mean, the rumours I've heard on the internet, you know because everything on the internet is true, is that he's got a bit of an attitude. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I think he would be a really great loan signing. If we were going to bring Carvalho on loan purely, I'd rather have Emil Smith-Rowe. But that, that would be the person that comes to mind immediately for me, Jack.
1: Yeah, it's 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 an interesting one. I mean, I suppose we have just said that there's a lot of depth in this attacking line, you know, that we're more than capable of coping whilst Awobi's out. So maybe that that changes things a little bit in that regard. But he was the person that sprung to mind when I read this question from Dave, because you're looking at that and going, who's on the fringes and isn't getting any opportunities to, to work their way in there? Obviously, you can highlight your Calvin Phillipses. I don't think Calvin Phillips is, is, is going to come mm-hmm. to Fulham much as I thought that that would be. A pretty good signing in the summer when, when it when it was talked about. Then I think he's going to have potentially slightly higher sights than than where we are right now. Dom, anyone jump out at you?
3: No, not not anything that straight straight away. Uh, but Smith Rowe, as I said, is a is an interesting player just because it's another player who can play in all those positions behind behind the main man, whether that's in the ten or or out wide. And I think he 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 should be looking for a low move in 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 January. I'm not I don't think he'd make. The England squad, although he has been the England squad before, he was in there in sort of 2021. I remember him scoring away at San Marino. Um, Because all I remember doing for 90 minutes for that game was singing about Saka and MS throw. I don't know. I, we may have won 10-0, but I couldn't describe any of the 10 goals that England scored that day. But it yeah, you've got to look at Smith. Smith, Rome, and Phillips sort of the two players who jump, jump, jump out straight away of sort of players who are sort of, on, well, Phillips is going to be in the squad anyway, but, you know, players who are on the fringe, you could make the England squad who aren't really playing right now. But I don't know. I don't know if a low... A low although low movies in January are more likely to happen than signing anyone on a permanent deal, I think we... Sh- I don't I don't think we'll be making lo- lots of signings. I think we've already sort of scouted and looked at the type of players we're going to bring in. There's obviously been the link to Andre. And they'll, be looking, they'll be looking at bringing a striker in and there's not any English... Because that's, that's one issue I do actually find right now is... Behind, although uh, although you got the likes of Watkins sc- 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 scoring goals, and you've got Solanke, the drop off after Harry Kane is quite quite big, and I don't think there's any sort of strikers out there that I can see a signing that you know are looking are looking to get into um, the England Euro twenty twenty four squad in particular. I can't speak for for other countries' teams, but I said I think we'll more, we'll more be looking you know, abroad actually signing players, then we will be looking in the, within the Premier League. But I think, yeah, Smith-Rowe would be an excellent a- acquisition. It's just adding to the array of attacking options we've got in um, attacking three behind him and us. I've got a
1: couple of suggestions, but Cam, is there anyone that jumps to you?
2: No, <laughs> not really. I think, I think the boys would hit the nail on the head. Smith-Rowe was excellent for the England under-21s when they've, so they lifted the uh, Euro Championship in the uh, summer. Um, other than that, I, I couldn't really, I couldn't really pinpoint anybody. Obviously, you've got a few people out there saying, well, if Arsenal are going for a striker, which it looks like they could be, could Eddie Nketia be somebody that we obviously saw on yesterday's to, performance. Low, low to buy? Um, I mean, yeah, he was, he was piss poor yesterday. Um, but he's still a player for me, which he had an, a, a different dimension to our attack if it was to happen, but I still don't see it coming to fruition at all. So no, no, I ain't got anybody off the top of my head either, to be quite honest. The only thing I was thinking about was centre-backs.
1: If Tosin isn't going to sign this contract and he is going to to leave in the summer, what does Fulham's centre-back core look like? And there's a couple of players that maybe aren't on the fringes of their national teams, but have pedigree that I think needs working on. Ben Godfrey Everton, I find a really strange case because he exploded onto the scene and then seemingly is completely and utterly not trusted by Sean Dyche within that system. So, that's one I think might be interesting. The other one's Tilo Kera. And I know that there is another player with mistakes in him at West Ham. But I wonder if there's no game time for him there. Could Fulham look at bringing one of those two in on loan, with maybe with a view to a permanent transfer in the summer, to try and fill that gap if Tosin isn't going to sign that contract?
0: I think Kera's going to Monaco.
1: Is he? It's.
0: Uh... I, I read, I read uh, Fabrizio Romano the other day say, I think he's on his way there. Whether, you know, again, whether that's true or not. Tosin was on his way there
1: in the summer, so he must be yeah. human. Yeah. <laughs> he's been, he's been <laughs> usurped by Tino Car. But yeah, Ben Godfrey, I find, I find it very strange what's happened to him because mm. at one point there were you know Man United looking at him and now he can't get in the Everton team. So, uh, but of, to- speaking
0: of Tosin, do, you, do we feel like him signing a new contract is a possibility? Do we feel like the love that we're giving him, the quality of his performances make him realise that this is a great place to stay for his development? Do we feel like he could sign or is he his head in the clouds, do you think?
1: I don't know. There doesn't seem to have been really any movement on it. I think mm. there are still conversations going on. I believe that, you know, the club are still adamant that they want him to sign a new contract. It just feels like the two parties are no closer to an agreement than where we were a year, you know, a month ago. But look, Peter's reported on, on a lot of it that there might be, you know, light at the end of that tunnel one way or another soon. So I, I think it's that's it. It's not necessarily about, obviously, we'd love him to sign a contract, but it's about getting closure as well on it and just being like, right, we know where we stand ahead of next season. What are Fulham trying to plan for? Um, so, Um, So, yeah, I think that's interesting. Right, last thing before we go, and it's two questions in one. Chris says, was that the best performance of 2023? And Londinium calling goes one further. He says, was that the best league win in the last decade? Now, they're quite bold statements, but I do... I can't remember Fulham being that dominant against a side who are that close to the top of the league for a long, long time.
2: Um, <laughs> well, I don't know, mate. I think obviously clouded over a little bit of the whole kind of beating them boys down the road, but you can't really go any further than obviously the Chelsea victory after decades upon decades of literally not mustering anything against them home or away. Um, and we might not have necessarily been as squeaky clean against Chelsea as we were against Arsenal, but... But no, I mean, for me, the, the best and probably the most iconic win that we've had, probably in the Premier League era, is Chelsea last season, without a doubt. Um, this this win obviously goes close, and it's nice to see us put that hoodoo to bed about not beating all the you know the big boys in this division. But I mean, how could you look past uh, making a making Chelsea cry? How could you look past that?
1: I think in terms of a win, yes, I think you're right. I do wonder if that. I don't I can't recall a better performance against a big side It's maybe maybe the, the distinction I get. Of course, if you gave me those two wins and be like, which one would you rather experience yeah. again and again and again? It would always be the Chelsea one. But I think in terms of actually what we put together on the pitch, that's about as complete as I've seen Fulham against a big side in a long time.
0: Yeah, we haven't really looked so solid against a top 16 where I thought we were not going to concede. Even against United this season, we almost felt like an inevitability that we were going to concede at some stage. It always happens against them in the last minute. But yesterday, it didn't feel like we were going to concede at all. Even when Saka had that volley from six yards out, there was something about that game we were just unbelievably solid. And Polinian making that last ditch tackle and celebrating in front of the away fans. There was everything about that game was in our favour. And I don't feel like that was the case in other top six games. And I feel like that's why this game is gonna be long in the memory. But I think Ham's right, you can't beat that Chelsea game overall this in the in the calendar year of twenty
1: twenty three. Yeah, fair enough. Don, what was your favourite win of twenty twenty three? Was it, you know, some some very obscure game that you, you
3: managed to get to? <laughs> no, on a Tuesday I night? no, I still I, I think, well, for one, I was in attendance because usually all the big wins come and I'm not there. So, uh, for one, I was actually in attendance for probably either Everton in the League Cup or Brighton away in the League. Yeah. Um Although we played absolutely terrible against Brighton, <laughs> and then it was it was the only because I, th- I think Bobby Reed started up front that day, and then everyone was like, "Oh, bring Vinicius on, bring," and then he was terrible when he came on. Although he did set up Solomon to go through, but yeah, for ones I think as you said, performance wise, I don't think re- we've had much better than we did yesterday in regard to how well we played, how dominant we were, and who the opposition was. But um, for ones that I was in attendance for, I've got, I've got to say the yeah the Everton penalty shootout win just because. It was like it's the first time in a while where we've we've had a game at a high level, which has actually meant so much. You know, a a league win, although it is still only going to take you from let's say 14th to 11th or something, whereas actually qualify for our first ever League Cup semi final and our first cup semi-final since the Europa League and we've torn domestic cup since we lost to Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-finals it's it was it just it felt big and I think that's why it's sort of at the top of the games that I did attend because annoyingly I missed both the Chelsea and Arsenal wins in 2023
1: (laughs) (laughs) you can only speak from lived experience all right I think that's pretty much it for today's full admission all that's left to do is the name of this podcast Don what are you going for
3: it's got to be Raul Lang sign from Alistair Nemo on Instagram. Absolutely. Fantastic. <laughs> well done, Alistair.
1: The first pod name of 2024. An honour you can put on your CV. All that's left for me to do apart from that is to say thank you very much to my esteemed panel. Avas, thank you so much. Happy New Year.
0: And Happy New Year to you, Jack, and everyone
1: listening. Thanks for having me. Cam, Happy New Year, my friend. Up the Whites. Happy New Year, boys. Get up. Get it up, yeah. And Mr. Domberts, thank you very much, mate.
3: Here's to Fulham winning the League Cup and England winning the Euros in 2024.
1: Well, let's hope one of those things happens. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Fulhamish Podcast. Thank you so much for listening as ever. You Whites.